Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. We are so very glad that you decided to join us as we discuss and dissect films both current and bygone, as well as a little music from time to time, maybe a smattering of baseball here and there. You can find the Film Harmonic podcast on Apple Podcasts, where we encourage you to leave us a review and a pleasant rating, and on Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Alexa, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, and SoundCloud. And you can send review requests to the throwback challenge to the film harmonic at gmail.com on today's show we are going to discuss a certain movie that a few people saw yes uh avengers endgame mm. um and then next is going to be this most recent weekend's uh rom-com entitled long shot with charlie's theron and seth rogan that should be a fun discussion that will lead us into our x6 segment where we're going to discuss one of our favorite director's um, top six movies, each one of us chose, on his 50th birthday to celebrate that. And then we're going to close everything out with our throwback challenges this week, which uh, I gave Noah the uh, Joaquin Phoenix-led James Gray movie, Two Lovers. And I gave Andy uh, the Donald Rumsfeld documentary uh, directed by Errol Morris entitled The Unknown Known. But first, Andy, we had uh, we celebrated a joint birthday uh, separately, but it's on the same day. Uh, last weekend, April twenty seventh. Uh, what'd you do for your birthday? Uh, coincidentally, my birthday was uh, the same day that one of my favorite local beer fests was held. Mm. Death and Taxes Beer Festival. Taxman Brewery from Taxman. Yeah. yeah. So it was a good time. Um, Nothing new to report, just a typical mm. beer drinking weekend for me. But <laughs> but I think your birthday was pretty special this time around. I had one of the best birthdays I've ever had. Oh. I went to Chicago in on April 27th of all days. It snowed like a motherfucker. Oh my god. In Chicago, but it was it was all it was all worth it because I got to see most death. Uh, now known as Yasin Bey, mm. uh, performing um, uh, is the 20th anniversary of Black on Both Sides and the 10th anniversary of The Ecstatic, which I think is his most underrated album. And he, wrote, he he played uh, songs off of both of those albums as well as other albums. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. It was amazing. Where did you see him again? It was at Concord Music Hall in hmm. Logan Square uh, neighborhood of Chicago, and it was... It was really, really terrific. Uh, one of the highlights, really quick, was uh, one of his most well-known songs is Miss Fat Booty. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And he came and did it. Um, he did the entire song to uh, the beat of Devil in a New Dress by Kanye West wow. instead. And it was really, really great. It was really... That's- that really, sounds really incredible. Yeah, it was fantastic. Really yeah, I've fantastic. never seen him live. I always, I've yeah. always wanted to. I've tried to see him tw- twice uh, uh, before here in Indianapolis, and he canceled the show like a week or so before mm. each time. And so I thought, it happens to fall on my birthday. It's three hours away. Not, Fuck it, I'm going. Not I'm that going. long of a jaunt. And I'm, I'm, I'm so, so very glad that I did. It was fantastic. It sounds like a terrific way to spend yeah. your birthday. It really, really was. I really hope that they are going to follow through with this Black Star album as well. Uh, produced by Mad Lib, apparently. Yeah. So. Um, that's one of my all-time favorite hip-hop albums, too. The yeah. Black Star Yeah, album. it's a great, great yeah. album. And yeah. Mad Lib has produced some of my other favorite albums. Yeah, sure. Like Mad Villainy with Eminem F. Doom. So. excellent. Yeah. 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 Very exciting. So. so we're another year older. 
Okay. We, we are. Yay. Yeah. And my <laughs> my knees hurt right now. My, um, well, yeah. Because we just we just stood for a while at a Strand yeah. of Oaks concert. Yes. Um, and we both worked 10-hour days yeah. today as well. So. <laughs> right. But it was so, very much worth it. And I'm still kind of energetic right now. I have a third win now. Yes. So, yes. So we're going to give you uh, uh, the very best we have left in the tank. <laughs> we're going to need a third win for this next uh, discussion. Yes, well. we will. All right, so the first the first uh, uh, movie for this week barely needs any introduction whatsoever. Uh, almost all of you have probably seen it. Uh, your cousins have seen it. Your aunts probably seen it. Many of you probably have seen it multiple times. <laughs> Andy and I have only seen it once, and we're going to talk about it now. It's the twenty second film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh boy! It is the culmination of uh, many many storylines. It is Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame. Right. Um, so it, it feels like at this point that we are so far behind on this movie, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's only been out what uh, a week, eight days, maybe. It's only been out a week. And so many people have not only seen it, but discussed it, written about it, talked about it at this point. YouTubed their reactions to it. It's insane. Yeah. The, 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 the reach this movie's had. Yeah. It's, not, it's not surprising. No. Because it's all culminated to this point. They've built this. And um, it's amazing to hear, though, the 22nd movie in 11 years. It's yeah. Been, it's been 11 years since Iron Man. They've jam-packed them. Especially the last few years, they've put out two or yeah. three a, a year. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, just since, what, Black Panther, with, which came out just a year ago. Yeah. It seems like there's been, what, Ant-Man and the Wasp and... Uh, the Infinity War. In, yeah, there's been two to three since yeah. then. So, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. They're trying to pack a lot in, and, um, well, they try to pack literally everything into this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, whether they do that... Seamlessly or not, we can discuss. Um, it, there was there was no way this movie was not going to have its flaws. You know that's sure. impossible. Yeah, um, but you and can't not, ask too much from it. Then you're honest. not going to be able to please everyone. Oh no, oh know? no. But I feel like they've pleased the majority of their fan base with this movie. Absolutely, it yeah. seems like the majority of their fan fan base is is overjoyed with. Mm. With most of the send-offs and the homage that they paid to to some of the ancillary characters throughout right. the universe as well. And just kind of wrapped this storyline up in a nice tidy bow and still set themselves up for continuing certain other franchises that, that are obviously a part of this. True. And this is and then that's a good point. That's that's why I I am torn on this movie. Because on the one hand, I would like to say it's a negative for me that they focus so much on a, only a couple characters in this movie, like, completely, and leave out a lot of focus on a bunch others, mm-hmm. but I, they're clearly doing that for a reason. Yeah. They are, um, you know, setting up storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, in one way, uh, I, I totally see why that's being done, and I respect it, but I still have some issues with this movie, I have to say. Well, one good thing about us doing this eight days later is... We, we can just dispense with the spoiler alert 
yes, part at all. Right. So right. this is not going to be spoiler free. It's been out eight days and everybody you know has seen it. So It's broken uh, all the records already. So. so if you haven't for some reason seen this film by now, uh, don't listen to the rest of this segment, I guess, because we're just going right to go now. ahead and dispense with the spoilers. Just go see it because it plays yeah. every 30 minutes at every yeah. theater in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. So right. um, where do you want to start? Uh, where do we start? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I guess we'll start with this. I mean, I do like the I what I did like about it. Yeah, tell I'll me say, what you like right the off most. the bat. Yeah, was what it did right off the bat was kind of throw you for a loop with this whole initial scene where you see Thanos die. Mm-hmm. Right, I thought that was a cool kind of uh, curveball. Definitely didn't you know? see it coming. No, no. Um, so I, I was kind of like immediately like, okay, where's this thing going? Um, we have to kind of comment on how does how well does it work for you and how well does it work for 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 anyone as far as the time travel thing um is you know um, yeah that that's one of the big elephants in the room is how they handle the time travel aspect of it mm-hmm. um it's fun how they you know how they explain away their version of the time travel especially the scene in which they're dumping on back to the future it's fun especially that, that's a fun little scene it, it, bruce banner gets to have a lot of fun with it mm-hmm. you know at, at what's what i found a little disappointing is what tony stark had to do with it separately mm-hmm. he's kind of just sitting alone in his basement after he's denied wanting to do anything with it and just like immediately becomes like oh yeah, this isn't going to work. But. I'm just going to test it. Yeah. Oh, it's working. Oh, shit. I solved time travel. Well, here we go. <laughs> well, I guess I have to well, <laughs> do something about this. Let me talk to Pepper and make sure she's okay with me solving time travel. And I'm not asking for you to be yeah. like completely intricate with your explanation and details on it. But, but it's boy, do li- they play fast and loose with the rules. It's kind of yeah. silly. You really have to suspend a lot of belief. You like, do. As far as the time travel aspect of this Which goes. is contradictory for a franchise like this to build up a universe for so long and mm-hmm. then like suddenly just be a little careless. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. I mean, but at the same time, you get all these actors having a fun time with each mm-hmm. other. It's, it's, it's fun to spend time with these people together. I like what, I really like what they did with... Uh, again, Mark Ruffalo. Oh, um, that's one of the most most fun aspects of the film is the the CGI that looks great that they've used on Brolin for the last couple films. Mm-hmm. They finally used it on um, on Ruffalo, and they, it's one of the best performances in the movie because of how nuanced the character and looks. he's barely himself in this. He, he's yeah. almost always in Hulk mode in this. Yeah, exactly. well. Banner and Hulk together. Yeah, exactly. Finally living together, yeah. coexisting. And you get those rooftop scenes with him and Tilda Swinton. <sighs> Great, yeah. And it's, you know, they, again, they're very playing very fast and loose in those scenes with the time travel discussion. <laughs> well, yeah. But again, as long as you're willing to suspend belief for the time travel stuff, you can't, there's a lot of fun to be had with this. And movie. I will say that I ultimately gave over to the time travel thing. I ultimately just... I said, okay, let's yeah. let's 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 move on and let's try to have fun with it. Because this. otherwise, you're going to be fixated the entire time you're sitting mm-hmm. there watching it. Mm-hmm. So you just after a while, you're just like, okay, I'll play by your rules. Go ahead. So with this kind of movie, you have to really look at okay, with this kind of a huge cast. I for one, for this is how I view it. Since I'm not a big comic book universe person i watch this movie how much am i enjoying the performances and and how well are they balancing all these people in this movie and i will say for the most part i didn't i enjoyed almost everyone yeah um i really there was one main character though that i thought 
what they're doing with him now is not good at all. And who's that? It's Thor. Yeah, the, look, the last few films, Thor has, they've relied more heavily on the comedy aspect they have of they have and this time they really go full tilt with that with him but and his gut and, and yeah and, and, and it's not but it's not the taiki uh, watiti version of him no it's, it's not. the anthony and joe russo version and those guys aren't necessarily great at comedy not in the way that watiti is they're very good at pacing and they're very good at directing action sequences mm-hmm. and keeping a story moving along well but as far as orchestrating like a comedic tone the the Thor thing kind of takes away from everything else. Yeah, and there's it, it's just it, it, after a while it really drags it drags along. Like yeah, they're really they're milking that that gag for the entire three yeah, hours. I was I was thinking that Thor the Thor lazy drunk Thor bit mm-hmm. was going to end after they visited him and he was hanging out with his buddies drinking and I thought that he would get in shape after that and become Thor again. So did I, and it never happened. Nope, which was bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> so he was the most wasted, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like uh, Ruffalo they used the best. You, you know, think so? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, although he didn't get a very good send off. No, the no, way no, that, that not at all. Tony Stark and Captain America both got mm-hmm. really like triumphant mm-hmm. send offs. Yeah, yeah. They really just kind of glossed over uh, uh, Hulk. They did, which is kind of disappointing. But in the end, you know, Tony Stark and yeah, you know. Uh, uh, Captain America are the catalyst for everything. They so. really are. And you know that I've never, ever been much of a Chris Evans fan. I know. What do you think I've of him here? I've never been much of a, of a Captain America fan. I still feel the same way. Like I've just, But he I has can't... a little bit more fun with the whole, in the scene where they revisit, you know, the elevator scene. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to make the comment about America's ass. That was kind of funny. That was <laughs> pretty funny. And everybody has a lot of fun in this movie. Most everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know... The most underrated performance of Infinity War, I thought, was Tom Holland. Mm. He is barely yeah, He's not in this in thing. This movie. Let's talk about this now. Okay. Barely used. Barely the category used. of barely used. There's many, many things I could say here. Yeah. And this is one of the biggest problems I have. Not only... It's one thing to... You can't have everyone... Even in a three-hour movie, you can't give everyone a lot of screen time. I get that. Mm-hmm. But when you have a sequence like when the final battle comes... And you're just ushering everyone out. And in this movie where you're <laughs> consistently putting up these uh, two main Captain America, Iron Man, strong white guys up saving the world and you're giving them great send-offs, you're basically all but brushing aside the Black Panther cast and pretty much all the women. Yeah. But well, you give them this one moment. That one moment where my, I don't know about your audience, but my audience really dug it. Especially because I was sitting with a, with one sure. of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got very, very excited. But it's gone in one minute. Yeah. it's it's That's what's it's weird like about it. It's a 10 second scene where, where you see all of the women from the entire MCU. I mean, on down to like Mantis. I know. You know what I, mean? I know. Um, and it's cool, but mm, it is. But that's really all they get to do is that ten second scene. And again, like, she's not alone. She's got us. Right. And in the end, they want to say, "Don't worry, mm-hmm. they're going to play a big role here soon." And that's but, cool. But, but in a three hour movie, yeah, can't you carve out a little more than that? A little more than just fan service, and that's it. Exactly. And that's that's 
one of the the problems that the movie has is it's it's a lots of, lots of these little fan service bits mm-hmm. that don't really culminate into a whole lot. You know. Yeah, and, and I get that. You know, it, it nails the fan service for the core people they're looking at. Mm-hmm. But you know, when it comes to us talking about it right now, we're looking at it like, ah, oh, but couldn't you? Because it doesn't really resonate. No, no, it doesn't. And, and so. So there's Tom Holland for sure, not used enough. Mm-hmm. Same with Chadwick Boseman. <sighs> not at all, hardly. Not at all. Tessa Thompson. And I get it that they died in the last movie. Yeah, but... But you still could have... Could you bring him back a little earlier than that? And I guess because this is the last Avengers film of this run, mm-hmm. you really want to focus on the four big Avengers. Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, and, uh, and Thor. And Black Widow. Because she she does get quite a bit to work with. Here. She does. She's the only female character that does. I was surprised how much I enjoyed Jeremy Renner in this. Oh, did movie. you? Yeah, because I'm he's another one that I'm not really. You've big never on. been a big fan, and but I'm that, I'm reverse. That opening sequence with him and that, his family that was good. That was effective. I am more of a fan of him. Yeah. in general, but I didn't think he was you that did. great in this movie. Really, I liked him in the first scene. I guess I like depressed Jeremy Renner. There's something a more. about. Just the way he looks later on in this yeah. movie is kind of ridiculous. And that haircut. That's what I mean. Ugh. And, and and the scene where he's like an assassin uh, in yeah. where I don't fighting know, in the Japan Yakuza or, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems a little yeah. overdone. So I've read a few articles that are saying that um, Robert Robert Downey Jr. Um, should and quite possibly will get an Oscar nomination <laughs> for this film. That's a little silly. I think that's kind of preposterous. I love Robert Downey Jr., okay, but come on. And he's really good in this. But, yeah. like, Academy Award is he? nomination good? He kind of does this in his sleep nowadays. Yeah, it, that's true. Why? Because he lost a lot of weight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the early scenes? And he cries a couple times? He doesn't do much different than he always does as Iron Man. Yeah. He's a little less, like, zingy and, and, and humorous mm-hmm. because he's more dark in this movie. Well, and then there's the, the conversation where... Um, people comparing it to the Lord of the Rings trilogy and that mm. if final film of that trilogy, Fellowship of the Rings, ended up getting nominated for a slew of Academy Awards and ended up winning Best Picture. Uh, and people are saying, what, you're going what are the chances that this film could get not only nominated, but maybe even win oh, or at least sneak into the Best Picture conversation? Well, last year... Marvel started the start finally got into the Academy Award mm-hmm. uh, big nominations mm-hmm. best picture nomination actually mm-hmm. for Black Panther maybe that opened a door I don't know I, I think it's just the hype machine you know right now just less than ten days in still for this film and they're just really trying to, to rev that engine up I, I don't think that it'll still have legs come Oscar season but I guess we'll see. If it does, it means we've had kind of a lackluster year for movies, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm not saying this movie's bad by any means. No, not it's at just, all. Why should it be given accolades outside of winning every box office number in history? So before we give our grades, let's let's recap. What did you give Infinity War? Uh, I, I thought that was a bloated soap opera that I couldn't get into very well. What'd so you give it? Two and a half. I think I gave it three uh, for the same reasons that just it was so jam packed that it it didn't didn't really have a, 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 a it felt soulless like it didn't it yeah. tried to uh, to please all people and and I didn't buy the whole deaths in that there's of no course, way those was, characters are dying I think everybody really felt that that 
that that lessened the stakes. You killed Black Panther immediately after he was had this huge movie. Exactly. Come Same on. thing with with Spider Man. Right. Right. So um, so given that, what did you give this? Uh, I'm I'm a little higher on this movie than Infinity War, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and, and overall, they closed it out, uh, you know, solidly. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm not much higher. I'm at a three. I, I can't. I still have some things that irritate me a little too much to go yeah. any higher than that. Yeah, I think I'm at a three. Uh, mm. You know how last week you said that I would have been a four and a quarter on a particular film. Mm. I feel like I would be three and a quarter on this. I can see that. You know I could almost I mean? get there too. But since we don't do that, I'm I'm inclined to just give it a straight up three. All right, you we're know? we're totally the same level on this one. Then. Yeah. I th- uh, real quick though, uh, before we finish it. What do you think of the prospect of Anthony Mackie as the new Captain America? I've always really liked him. We've never yeah. really talked about him in no, general. Really. I mean, I, I've always really thought he was capable. Mm-hmm. Things like um, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> um, but you know, something like Half Nelson or oh, yeah. um, even even She Hate Me. I actually was. I felt like I'm one of the only people who liked She Hate Me. But <laughs> I think he's a good actor. Um, I think he he could pull it off. Yeah, yeah. I think everybody was expecting the guy that plays Bucky to be the new Captain America. Yeah. And so when when he kind of placed the mantle upon Anthony Mackie, I was like, oh, it's kind of, I kind of like that direction. It could be interesting. I yeah. kind of like that direction. I yeah. do. And then Tessa Thompson being the new <sighs> Thor, basically. She can do anything. <laughs> yeah, she's capable of doing anything. Sky's the limit for yeah, her, for exactly. sure. Well, um, I doubt this will be the last time we talk about this film. Uh, Probably not. About this franchise. So um, that's just our quick hit, basically. On we're not going to spend as much time on Avengers Endgame that as most people are. And breeze um, through it. Though. No, not at all. But um, I'm, I'm sure we'll 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 touch base with uh, with this film again, especially how much it's going to eat up the conversation still within the next few weeks. Yes, so. in a couple months from now, we'll, it'll still be in the theater. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of still being in the theater, uh, we saw another film this week, and there were lots and lots of people in line to go see Avengers Endgame (laughs) when we were trying to see uh, our next film uh, of the episode. Um, It's Jonathan Levine's uh, newest, starring Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron and a handful of others. It's Longshot. Longshot. So, long shot. Charlize Theron, Seth Rogen, O'Shea Jackson. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, you've got uh, Bob uh, Odenkirk. You've got Bob Odenkirk. You've got Andy um, Serkis in, yeah. in a role that we didn't realize was Andy Serkis until we were sitting there watching the credits roll at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's uh, indistinguishable. That he is, and you've got June Diane Raphael, who is just um, quite surprising in this. I. I, I mean, I'll have to say, I've always been a fan of her. It's just a quick hit on her real quick. Now mm-hmm. I'm thinking about her. Go ahead. But I didn't think she was going to get this significant of a role in this. No. Um, it, it, she pulls it off really well. Um, we'll get back into that when we start getting into this a little bit further. So, so for those of you who don't know, the premise of Longshot is Charlize Theron is Secretary of State to uh, President Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> And she is um, going to run for president. And um, she runs into uh, Seth Rogen's character, who is a writer now, um, for kind of like a Vice News kind of sort of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, website. And she used to babysit him when they were younger. 
and she needs writers to help punch up her speeches as she's prepping for a presidential run. And he's between jobs at the moment. So uh, she brings him on, and um, they start to fall in love uh, uh, seemingly out of the blue, considering you would never, ever expect those Mm. two to to have a chance. And that gives you a general idea of the premise here. And if that sounds kind of a little saccharine or even... um, implausible um that's because it is and still for me somehow this movie works uh, in ways that i didn't expect it to um i was kind of surprised by this movie i not only was i surprised how um how funny it actually was mm. i found myself laughing pretty consistently all throughout and in several moments i mean guffawing uh, uh, knee slapping like can't breathe laughing through at least two or three scenes where i uncontrollably laughing the entire audience was cracking up um but there were moments where the stakes actually seemed a little high like you actually cared about these characters and really wanted it to work for them in in moments where i wouldn't have expected to really actually give a shit uh, about the narrative that was unfolding in, in front of me and it goes in some some places where i didn't even expect it to i, I got to admit i really liked this movie i I, mean, I really liked it more than i thought i would i was kind of surprised i could tell you know this is the the we were talking about this we went to this movie that's together true. that's because and, and it, it's a comedy so it, not only is it a comedy, but it's a comedy with two actors that we greatly admire. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we both were pretty audibly having a good time mm-hmm. watching this movie. And so it's really hard to to go to a movie where you don't want to discuss your feelings about the movie with the other person. With a comedy, you can audibly tell when the person yeah. next to you is... is laughing their dick straight off their body and and you know you can you can obviously see that they're enjoying it i I, i've always had a rule for my like when it comes to romantic comedies um that i don't require originality i don't i don't have red marks against a a fucking romantic comedy if it's not original i'm not asking that i just want there to be a good chemistry up front and just natural uh humor and natural delivery between and the rapport and these two people have that and you never would have thought that these two people would have really good chemistry on screen together no but at the same time it's not surprising either for for some reason not really it's weird and like obviously this is the kind of thing that rogan can do in his sleep yeah yeah but the ad-libbing and like because obviously there's stretches stretches of this film that are ad-libbed oh of course and um she actually does a really good job she's not perfect uh, but she does a pretty she's good pretty job great though all around it. she's better than o'shea jackson is at the yeah. end honestly he's he he's funny but he's he funny. has some troubles true and and some of that might be be his ad-lib ability and some of it might it be is. the editing yeah the movie's not very well put together not really especially it has a very rocky start it definitely does you have to admit that that first scene, while it's a funny idea, they didn't really put it together very well. No, not not exactly. The, the way they handled the the Nazi like group <laughs> yes. was so kind of just corny. Oh, and, and you guys aren't going to know what we're talking about unless you've seen the movie, right? But, and we're not going to explain it to you because fuck you. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, we don't care. Um, but yeah, it's it's it it takes a minute for it to get its legs underneath. I it, was a little worried. Me too. At first. For the first 15 minutes. But once it gets going, especially once she and him start sharing the screen together, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it 
takes off. It takes uh, off. And let me say this too, like thinking of them together. Uh, you say that he could do a role like this in his sleep, and to an extent, yes. But there are scenes in this movie where he actually has to be a romantic leading man. It's not something and that he can do in his sleep. No, he's shown a little bit of a different level. And there's a couple of scenes in this movie that elevated the movie for me a little bit, and they're not particularly scenes with comedy. I'm talking mm-hmm. about a couple of scenes where they're like legitimately trying to make their relationship work in their weird situation and there's a real stakes to their like 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 emotional stakes yeah and that seems to be what makes you as the viewer invested in their relationship in a way that i didn't expect to be invested yeah and even in scenes that are inevitable to every story like this happen and you know what's going to happen there's still there's, you like the these characters so much and you're rooting for them that you enjoy it when it happens and listen if you thought that this was just another rom-com and because it's still very much has the Seth Rogen uh, uh, dick humor oh, yeah. and body humor that that you would expect. It is it is not it is rated R. <laughs> yeah, it's it's also Hard got R. the um, Rogen falls into a rock and Pineapple Express moments mm-hmm. several times. It yes. seems like in this movie, yeah. his face hits a lot of hard objects Oof. in this movie at Boy, least twice. Yeah, you looked over at me at one point. And was like, does he? He just doesn't bleed in this movie. <laughs> he doesn't. just doesn't bleed. Yeah. His face would have been shattered a couple times in this movie. Yeah, but no, he's he, he just he's Fred Flarsky. <laughs> yeah, and and where like the 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 narrative beats throughout this film kind of are pretty formulaic. They oh yeah they hap they they unfold at the pace that you expect them to because that's how movies like this work, mm-hmm. and they they uh, uh, they unfold um, um, in ways that you expect them to, but at the same time, I, it's it's still really enjoyable. I, I got to be honest with you, I think this is the funniest movie I've seen this year. Wow, I think it's my favorite comedy of the year so far. That's I, bold. I laughed so much at this movie there's a lot of fun to be had um i will say as much as i want to say bob odenkirk is not used very well it's also kind of like a show of like this is what trump's america's like this is the kind of idiot we and he's not (laughs) we have in the oval office he's not trumpian at all i know he's obviously a play uh on more ronald reagan than trump yeah with the whole celebrity tv movie aspirations you could you could make a case that sure but he's definitely just a dunce in general he's a republican dunce yeah right i will say that the andy circus thing and the evil aspect of that character the roger ailes version it's it's kind of amalgam yeah I could give it or take it. It, it wasn't. I don't know. It's it was. It was kind he of ridiculous. He plays it pretty darn well, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. it's kind of and ridiculous. Then get back to your girl real quick. June Diane Raphael. She's By the way, her husband. Her husband movie. Paul Shear is also in this movie. Yes, and he play- <laughs> plays a Fox News correspondent. That whole the and <laughs> that whole trio. Yeah. With the, I mean, they ex- very funny. There's a lot in this movie that explores like the. Um, not just media or or just just like just in positions of um, successful professionals in general, whether it be politicians or anyone like movie stars. Or, it shows a lot of like the 
um, degrading of women, and there's like a there's a lot of uh, trolling of that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of calling that out in this movie, and and you know the whole Fox News trio um, with the two guys and the one woman. The two guys always like <laughs> commenting on the uh, physique of women as, yeah. as, as like that's all that matters. And then the woman <laughs> who's in the trio has to just sit there and mm-hmm. listen to them, and 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 then she finally it. gets her revenge in the end. Yeah. It's funny to yeah. a certain extent. Paul Shear is good at that. Yeah. But back to June Diane Raphael, she adds such a good. Uh, you can't say antagonist because she's not. But not she, she's in the middle of everything that's going on. She's not an antagonist. She's more like the pragmatist. Of it's the true. Whole thing, You're you know? right. Because nothing she's saying is ever like that's unruly. It actually makes sense. Yeah, it's obviously she's only looking out for. Her. Yeah, she wants the best for Charlize Theron's character because mm-hmm. she actually believes in her. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she wants her to be more realistic and less idealist. She nails the part. She really does. I really think she's the third best part of this movie, sure. which is saying something because Rogan and Theron are terrific they're very good and uh, her scenes with rogan alone yeah are so good yes they add another yes. element oh let's i'm glad that we didn't get out of here before mentioning Skarsgård in this what do you think i like him in it really yeah he's he's it's, fine it's to not me. a role that i would expect him to play but <laughs> doing the connect thing he does his canadian accent that's <laughs> Kind of funny, and the the cheesy smile that he's, silly. that he's forced to do. It's, I mean, he looks the part. It is silly, and it's silly in in that like you know Seth Rogen character mm-hmm. uh, uh, movie where uh, uh, a guy will come in and only get to be in like four or five scenes, but but kind of steal those four or five scenes that he's in. I really liked him in it, honestly. He was just fine. Yeah. I have no opinion either way on him in it. He's um, fine. What did you give this movie? So uh, I really enjoyed the majority of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and, and overall. I had some quibbles with some aspects of it. I don't really like the way it's put together a lot. Like, for the most part, some of the editing is choppy, especially in the first 30 minutes or so. Some of the directing is kind of shoddy in the spots as well. Not great. I I think Jonathan Levine has gotten way... A little bit off the rails since I thought Fifty Fifty was so well made. Absolutely. And since then, it's kind of been. He's trying to get a little more mainstream, and it's not going as well as far as directing is you, concerned. You saw Snatched. Didn't saw you? Snatched. Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was bad. Yeah. The night before had its pleasures. I forgot that he directed that. We yeah. saw that in the theater mm-hmm. together too. That had its pleasures based on the cast. Alone. Yeah, exactly. And Michael Shannon being off the rails, yeah. funny in that, but. Yeah. <sighs> Charlize is the best part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Let's let's be honest. As much as we love Seth Rogen, she makes it all work in the end. Yeah, she does. She holds it um, together. Especially the in the scene, the very end, where she she revisits um, him in his apartment to declare something to him. She's that's that's some that's some great acting mm-hmm. in a movie that didn't require great acting. But she gives it all. Yeah. So in the end, I, I enjoyed it enough. I give it a three and a half. Did you? I'm at with it. I'm, I just barely am going to have to give this four because it's so entertaining and it's so very very funny. I can't wait to watch it again. Honestly. Oh, this has rewatchability, big time rewatchability, and that's why ultimately I'm just barely going to be able to bump it up to a full four. I just think it's super duper funny, and I I'll be surprised if uh, if a funnier movie comes out this year. Honestly, I, we might find out soon when Booksmart looks pretty good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But this is Booksmart's probably a better film overall. Maybe. 
But man, this is a really, really funny movie. I'll be watching it really soon again, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend loves both of them as well. Yeah. So I can't wait to... It, this kind of movie when I want to watch, watch with someone who's never seen it to see their reaction to. Yeah. Even if I don't love, love this movie, it's still going to be one of those that I would just like to have on every once in a while. Yeah. You know? Because it is, it does give you a good feeling when you're watching it. All right, well, that's Long Shot. We're going to take a break, but when we come back... Uh, Wes Anderson is about to turn 50 years old, and we're going to do a pick six segment segment in which we each rank our top six Wes Anderson films uh, to date. So stick around. Give me a full-length mirror so I can see the whole picture. Welcome back, Earthlings. Um, uh, Wes Anderson just recently turned 50 years old, and we're going to rank our top six Wes Anderson films. Each of us are. Um, so I-, I want you to do the honors and get us kick-started off at number six. But before we do that, um, this was really difficult because both you and I consider Wes Anderson to be one of the very best directors of the century so far. Yes. Um, neither of us think that he's made a bad film. I don't think he has. Um, so he's made nine films? Nine, yes. And so we had to uh, make some really tough choices um, eliminating movies that we really, really, really enjoy um, that we're not going to get to talk about on our lists. Yeah, so, three of them are so not on here. This was really, really hard. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. What was number six on your list? It is really hard to leave any of them off. Uh, it, but this is a fun excuse to really s- s- narrow things down. So um, for number six, uh, when I really started thinking about it, I was almost surprised that i have this on here um but in the end when i was looking at everything i was like yeah i think this is one of his six best movies the fantastic mr fox for me um that's a big thing for me because i'm not a big fan of animated movies in general i know you're not i don't understand it's because you don't smoke weed (laughs) yeah maybe that's that's why (laughs) but but it has the flair it has it has his signature uh, di- uh, dialogue, his comedic style, and the animation is pretty unique in this movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, he would later do it in Isle of Dogs, the same type of animation, but this was the first time he did it, and it was pretty eye-popping. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it was the first time he got to work with people like George Clooney and Meryl Streep, the rest of the people he'd worked with before, most of them. But those two were, like, the main characters, and they were perfectly voice casted here and that was at a time when i mean meryl streep's always been humongous but of course. that was at a time when both Clooney and streep were i mean at the apex of the of their of their fame and talent and and mm. uh, um relevance and so i mean it, it was a big big get for him to get the two of them as the two main characters in his film yeah that that was that was the same year that Clooney was nominated for up in the air that's, that's 10 years old already. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Huh? Did you see that in the theater? Up in the air? No, I didn't. No, no, no. The Fantastic Mr. Fox. No, I, I didn't see either of really? those in the theater. No. Okay. No. Those were those were home viewings for me that year. I saw it in a the theater. I'm trying to think. I, I think 
I've seen every Wes Anderson movie in the theater other than, I think, Bottle Rocket. Really? Maybe Rushmore, too. But everything after that, I think I've made a point to see is that special. So the Fantastic Mr. Fox um, was ultimately something that I had, you know, I've seen it two or three times. I haven't seen it in a while, but it I just have fond memories of it. And it's actually one of the best animated movies I've seen in mm. general. In oh, general. yeah. So oh, yeah. made my list. So number six on my list is one that I, I rewatched part of it recently, and I hadn't anticipated it making my list of six. And, man, the performances are just so good in it that I was like, how do I leave this off? How do I leave off the Darjeeling Limited? It's my number five. Is it? It is. It's my number number five, so let's talk about it right now. Yeah. Look, I don't think Owen Wilson has ever been better. Whoa, whoa. He's, he's, all three of them are terrific in this movie. They are, they are. Owen Wilson is, it's this like depressed, despondent, but still vibrant version of him. So like, he's vibrating throughout the movie. That's what he does with him. But yet he still plays this downtrodden, sad character, still just... He's still got all this energy as well. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kinetic in the movie. Um, uh, Brody does <laughs> does some really great things in this. It's terrific. Schwartzman, we, we're both big Schwartzman fans. Mm-hmm. Um, not as not as big as some people seem to be, but all three of them are really really great in this movie. Uh, it looks great. It's it's up to that moment. I think it might have been his best use of color in a film. I can agree with um, up that. Up to that point. Well, yes, because, to that point. Because he, 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 the colors in this movie are great. The cinematography is great. Um, and and it's, it's, it's one of his most human stories, um, while still kind of being one of his most sad stories as well. I think it is one of the saddest. Because these characters are all very sad. And you don't, you, we, we tend to think of Wes Anderson as a very whimsical guy. Mm-hmm. This is his least whimsical film i mean isle of dogs might be too it's True. pretty close True, it's kind of depressing um but, but yes i agree uh it, it was a departure for him at the time a little bit yeah um now man when it comes to owen wilson those two guys go go back very far together um, you know they went to the university of texas together where it was that famous story where you know wes anderson completed his run and owen just dropped out and decided to fuck around and get back to me when you're ready yeah. <laughs> and then it happened. But man, he gets something out of him that no one else can. It's just a different level to Owen Wilson when he's working with Wes Anderson and it's fun to watch cuz the guy is really talented. And it's because they know each other so well that mm-hmm. like there's they, a there's a trust. Yeah, he knows how to coax it out of him. He does. And then and beyond that, you have an Angelica Houston in this movie who's perfectly cast. A lot of fun characters just in, you know, in the the confined spaces. You know, there's a love interest with a Jason Schwartzman that's really fun in the movie. You get the Bill Murray cameo, always the, you know, yeah. the classic Bill, Bill Murray appearance at the beginning. Subtlety of it. Um, it's it's it, it's something I couldn't leave off the list. Yeah, I think it's his most underrated film. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. No one, no one really talks about this one. So it's my number six and your number five. So back to you for number five. My number five, oddly enough, I... Number six, The Darjeeling Limited, I think is his most underrated film. Number five, I think is his most overrated film. Mm. Um, but I still really, really like it. I know where you're going. And here. it's The Life Aquatic yeah. by Steve Zissou. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, this movie has garnered like cult status. 
um, where people buy the Zisu tennis shoes online and like still still wear them and and you see the red stocking caps at every indie rock show and like you know th- this movie is has this like rabid following that um uh, doesn't necessarily make sense um I don't think it's you know nearly his best film but as much as you want to roll your eyes at it Every time I go back and watch even po- portions of it, I'm like, man, this is still a really good movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie, and it's it's got some really rich, interesting characters in it, and it goes, it veers down some avenues that uh, that you wouldn't expect a movie like this to go to go down. Um, and again, Wilson is really good in it. Murray is terrific in it. Houston is terrific in it. Goldblum is really fun. <laughs> Defoe. Um, Defoe is really <laughs> good in it. It's just those characters are all so individually complex, and the way that they they interact with one another. Blanchette, oh yes, is yes. lovely in it. And it's just as much as I want to roll my eyes at this movie. It's there's a reason people do love it so much because it is really good. There's 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 something to be said that this is the first time you would say that the costume design in this movie in his movies was like really. People latched on to the style of him. Tenenbaums, I think, started it, but this movie is where it gained that status. Kicked it into high gear. That that, that wide agreement with people that, like, wow, he has... Not only uh, not only is he a brilliant director, but he has this this production design team that and costume design team that's really in tune with him. Yeah, like everyone's on the same page and are able to achieve this unique style that that he has mm-hmm. that he's dead set on. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, like I said, the, how do you argue against any movie on this list? Yeah. That it's just it's just ordering it, you know. Yeah, it's just laying them in order. So I don't blame you for putting it on yours. Yeah, I I, I couldn't leave it off. Um, so what's your number four then? Uh, this is where it gets hard. It does for get me. hard. The top four, the ordering of the top four is so hard for me. Um, I but I had to go with Rushmore. This goes a lot higher for most people that I talk to. Um, Man, it it, sh- it it brought Jason Schwartzman into the world, and he nails the part. Uh, I remember f- seeing it for the first time, God, a really long time ago. Can't even remember. Not, maybe a year or two after it was released, and I just I remember hating him. I hate this kid. Who is this kid? He's a, I hate him. Really? But it was just because he was so so good in the movie. At the time, I didn't know anything else about him, and I was like, is this just how this guy is? Like. But he's just a good actor, and he nails the part of Max Fisher. Um, and and at the time, I had already, I was probably at my most um, when I first saw it. I was probably the most obsessed with Bill Murray as I ever was, and like so, seeing him in that role was just like God. Oh wow! This is Bill Murray like coming back and, and kicking it into a new gear, which it was at the time. It was Bill Murray branching off a little bit into the next phase of his legacy yeah and he was so good in that movie um i think bill murray elevated that movie a little bit past to where it even was or it could have been uh yeah you put somebody else in that role that movie doesn't doesn't resonate with audiences the way that it has i agree for, for you know the better part of two decades now. yeah yeah and i think this is the first time his use of um certain kind of like uh, almost underground 
60s pop music yeah, was done was, so well. That's what I thought you were going to say is the soundtrack. His use of yeah. soundtrack mm-hmm. in this one. This is where it starts to shine. Yeah. Uh, you know, some some songs by, like, Cat Stevens and the Kinks and stuff, but, like, not your typical choices. Yeah, yeah. You know, B-sides. He does it so well. Yeah. And this is where it started. I remember buying the CD, soundtrack CD, and like, wearing it out. Mm-hmm. It was so well put together. So, as much as I wanted to put a little higher... So number four for me. Number four is solid. Number yeah. four is solid. My number four is the fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, okay. Um, I recently rewatched this a few months ago. My girlfriend had never seen it. Mm, okay. And uh, it, God, it holds up really well. I, when I was growing up, I was a really big Roald Dahl fan. Mm, okay. Um, so I already had quite an affinity for the story. Um, and Wes Anderson's vision of, of how to bring it to life is, was, was close to perfect. Um, uh, and we already touched on the, the, the vocal performances from Streep and Clooney, uh, but Schwartzman's really, really good in it too. Um, and then you get, you know, Bill Murray, obviously, and uh, there's just tons and tons of them. Defoe again, um, oh, yeah. as, as the rat, the He's done the so much good rat, work for him at you this know, point. And, the, I think he's the most memorable for me in that. Again, the score, the the soundtrack, the use of heroes and villains, and and uh, the Kinks again as well. Mm-hmm. There's the the score is really great. Even the the bogus buns and bean, uh, uh, oh, yeah. uh, the like the the fun little uh, uh, stuff that Alexander Desplat does throughout the, the 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 score really takes takes it to another level. Um, and they really get to play with a lot of that animation in ways that you obviously can't do with a live-action film. There's a lot of fun oranges and reds and yellows yeah. in this movie. Oh, yeah. Again, the colors. Yeah. I mean, he, he can do that like none other. Yeah, I just... I, uh, I know that there are lots of people that think that it's his best film. It's true. I, don't, I can't go that far, but um, it's it's really, really good. Number four was the perfect spot for it on my list. That's that's a good spot. So good spot. now we're now we're into the top half <sighs> of of Wes Anderson's filmography. Yeah, what'd you put at number three? This is almost like a two way tie for second for me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah this is very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at my list right now, and I'm almost like, do I swap three, two, and three right now? Go with your gut. Last Go second. <sighs> but I'm gonna keep it the way it is. Number three is the movie that I think is the funniest film ever made. I think it is the funniest movie ever made, in my opinion, because it has the most... I don't think there's a moment or a line in this movie that is not extremely funny. I've seen this movie 20 times at least, and I laugh more each time. Uh, I don't think Owen Wilson's ever been as good as Dignan in Bottle Rocket. Um, Man, this is a debut movie. And, uh, of course, he, he famously made the short film Bottle Rocket first, and then it later became this this movie. Um, of course, this movie doesn't have... It has a lot of rough edges as far as the directing is concerned. He's not fully found himself yet. Um, but, man, as far as writing and improvisation from his actors, just nailing lines and uh, deliveries... You get a, you even get a really fun performance from Andrew Wilson, the third Wilson brother. All the Wilsons are in this. There's a couple of scenes with Andrew Wilson where he plays this just like bonehead bully, and um, there's this amazingly funny scene where uh, they're all sitting by the pool, just like kind of hanging out at at um, 
Bob Musgrave's house, his parents' house. They're wealthy people, and they're like kind of using the house to make their plans to rob bookstores. But um, <laughs> Bob Musgrave's older brother comes, and it's Andrew Wilson, and they're all by the pool, and he walks up, and he picks up a leaf out of the pool, and he says, what the fuck is this? And storms off and beats his brother up, and like, and you can hear him beating him up in the background. And Owen Wilson picks up the leaf. And he's like, "It's a leaf." <laughs> like he genuinely says it. <laughs> it's just shit like that. Um, this movie—it's a nostalgic thing for me. Yeah, uh, most people would never have this anywhere on a top six. I would say for for Wes Anderson, but. Um, put a lot of stock into the, the the rewatchability for me and the level of extreme comedy that is achieved here and the particularly the performance from Owen Wilson. I had it at number 6 on my list until I rewatched really? rewatched half of Dark That's cool to hear. Yeah. yeah. It, it was it, on my list until 2 nights ago. It's just it's insane, man. Um It's a great movie. The level of naivety that is uh, Dignan is very driven he's very driven he's also very naive and and just just stupid also he wants to achieve something even if it's being a criminal yeah <laughs> and in the end when you know he's going to fail and you know the police are on their way to arrest him and he goes back into that building and he insists on it and he says they'll never catch me because I'm fucking I'm innocent, fucking innocent. <laughs> which yeah. is totally false. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And he's god. got that yellow jumpsuit on, and it's just he's got that huge magnum or whatever the hell it is that like <laughs> that big gun. <laughs> anyway, I could go on about that movie. What is your uh, number three? I actually have Rushmore at number three. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there's just something about something about that film that that hit me at the time that I watched it and then subsequent rewatches still seems to still seems to find its way to that exact same pleasure center mm-hmm. that it that it did on the very first watch. I know what you're talking about. And um it it just gets me. And it I don't know if it's the way Bill Murray smokes a cigarette in the movie <laughs> or if it's or if it's uh, uh you know uh, with friends like you, who needs friends? You know, like <laughs> yes, and then spitting on the car, and like oh, it's just man. it's little things like that throughout the movie, and just um, h- how lovely she is. She is very movie. good in this, and right? being able and being able to, to to balance the other two. She has actors. a tough role. She has a really tough role because of how she has to balance these other two actors who are vastly different than one another, and both vying for her affection, mm-hmm. and um. The the montage of the, them playing pranks on one another that is fun and then upping the scales it just there's so much there's so much uh, uh, about this movie that I love and then you know the very the the, the stage play of Serpico oh it's brilliant this, just just all of it, it just it gets better the the Luke Wilson cameo with the O R scrubs and oh and just, are they there's just there's so many great lines in this fucking movie. I, I just I love it. I <laughs> I just I really love it. It's it was hard for me to put it as low as number three because it was the first Wes Anderson movie that I ever fell in love with. Mm, okay, I mean, it was hard for me to have it at four because you know I think of things now like when Bill Murray blocks the kid's shot. I think- <laughs> he, he vigorously does it. Yeah. And he he needs to do it. Yeah, like he's Shaq. <laughs> 
Shaq circa oh, 1999. The, the movie yeah. is the movie is really really quite good. Yeah. And for the for when you think about the no budget he had at the time, yeah. And, because and, Bottle Rocket made no money, mm-hmm. and then he went into this, and somehow, how do you think? You start to think, how does he get Bill Murray? Bill Murray was probably a fan of Bottle Rocket. Sure. You would imagine I'm he sure. was. I mean, that's incredible to yeah. think about. God. <sighs> this 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 kind of got him his critical success. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really made a lot of money, but it got enough critical success to move on to to move on to, to number two on your list, which is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, so expertly, and this this is where he hits his peak as far as everything like mastering his style. Yes. I think, I think um, technically everything about it so i think i think we should pause here because what has happened is something that i that i called uh before we started recording the podcast Mm. which i said that um that uh you would like you always do lead with your heart because you're a heart guy Mm -hmm. and i would i would overthink it too much and our ones and twos are flip-flopped for this exact reason so you have the royal tenenbaums at two I have Royal Tenenbaums at two and Grand Budapest at one, and it seems like you have it flip flopped as well. I do. I have the Tenenbaums at one. I really could have gone either way. I like, I love the Royal Tenenbaums more, but I think that Grand Budapest is a better film. I see what you're saying here. I feel like we can, we can now that we know what each other's ones and twos are, and they're the same. They're just flip flopped. We can just do this. And you're right. You're totally Um, right as far as you're thinking about the overall. Best film, like I think, the best made movie, and and I think that the Grand Budapest Hotel is his crowning achievement as far as taking his style and mastering it as far as color and mm-hmm. pacing and, sure. and cinematography and score and all of it are concerned in getting the most out of his actors mm-hmm. and taking serious moments and still juxtaposing them with zany elements and just having it all culminate in this perfect thing well budapest is also kind of violent compared to some of his other movies well isle of dogs might be his most violent it was his most violent (laughs) film to that point yeah well i would say i would turn that a little bit and say that i think he gets the most out of his actors in the royal tenenbaums more i think so because i think it's more about the actors in that movie whereas budapest is more about the environment and the, the world yeah the it's world them other playing, than fine it's them playing off shockingly yeah. good well fine just just <laughs> goes on onto another level he does and it's mostly about him as far as the actors yes. are concerned now tenenbaums is a very ensemble piece. yes which that's what gets to me every but with time. Budapest, you know, Tony Revolori does He's some fun. really interesting things. Sir Ronan does some interesting in things. Adrian Brody sure. uh, is it, is a maniac. Willem Dafoe adds a creepy element to that movie. Very. I'd say he's second best behind behind Ray Fine in this. You think so? Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. trying to think. All the other actors kind of tend to. Um, some of the other names we're thinking like, we haven't mentioned yet have very small roles. F. Murray Abraham and Jude Law. Uh, even yeah, even uh, what, what Owen Wilson, Bill Murray. I mean, mm-hmm. the typical people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jude Law. I forgot about Jude Law. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in that film. There's a lot of people in that film, but it just looks so gorgeous the action sequences are directed so really well and they're choreographed really really well it's paced well it's it's fun perfectly the the score is the score is great alexander's a spot and it's a really really great great score um i just i think it's it's the jewel in his crown it's it's 
you know, Tenenbaums is is my favorite, but I feel like you could definitely make the case, and I am making the case, that the Grand Budapest Hotel is is his best overall work. And you're right. You're totally right. We're looking at it in two totally different ways. I know. As you predicted, because I'm looking at it in that. <laughs> it's just a fact. As much as if I ever wanted to deny it, I couldn't. So I just give in to the fact that I watch movies first and foremost for the performances. And Gene Hackman gave his final great performance in The Royal Tenenbaums, which is saying something because that that that's a brilliant career. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's easy to forget about him now because it's been so long. I mean, he's still alive, but he hasn't acted in so long. No, and we were talking about uh, Behind Enemy Lines just the other day. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> we're sitting, <laughs> waiting. Which is both him and Owen Wilson sitting there. <laughs> 20 minutes before long shot starts and we're talking about behind enemy lines for some reason. I don't remember how we got into that. We were talking about the the six best Owen Wilson performances that are not in Wes Anderson. A list that's never going to happen. Yeah, because you can't even come up with six. Yeah, behind enemy lines. He was in that. So that was one of his last performances too. But yeah, yeah. But Gene Hackman, man, what a great, brilliant actor. I mean, every one that he... That he it, that it, he casts in this movie, he elicits some sort of great performance. Whether it's Danny Glover, yeah, well, and none of them Angelica get Houston. pushed to the wayside. Everyone no, gets their fair they shake. All get to do their own thing. Yeah, and and some of them do their best work ever. Luke Wilson. It's probably never been better. Yeah, yeah. and you, Owen's I, been better, but he's real fun. I know <laughs> that that people make a a big deal about the the needle in the hay scene, mm-hmm. and like, and people dress up for Halloween as the bomber, and like, yeah, you know, but. But there's a lot more to Luke Wilson's performance than those two aspects of it. Yeah, when you start thinking about, when you want to make fun of the Wilson brothers, they can be easily made fun of overall for their careers. But when you start to think about what they've done with Wes Anderson, there's a little more to those people, Mm -hmm. to those actors. And Wes Anderson gets it out of both of them. Again, Gwyneth Paltrow has probably never been better. I mean, she's really great in this. And Stiller gets to... He, he finally got to add a new element that he would later go on to and stuff like Greenberg and add, you know, other... And all comedies, of course, but still adding something new to them. A different dimension. Um, Angelica Houston's just... Well, I mean, she's great in general. Yeah. Um, but how, the I'm, use of music in this movie... Oh, talk about using God. the score. Everything about it. The way he moves it along like a novel... Alec Baldwin's a perfect Alec narrator. Alec Baldwin narrating is, is I mean, precise. It, it's just, I still remember seeing this movie in the theater and being just absolutely floored. And to this day, I I could watch it any time and still just, I just, I can't not have it as my favorite. Yeah, I flip-flopped back and forth this entire week when I was making this list as to, as for one and two and one and two. And um, I think it's only fitting that we, that we ended our one and twos this I, way, you know. This turned out as, as as good as I could think it would. They're both absolute excellent five-star films. So let's talk about what was left off. For, so yeah, what was left we off? We both left off Isle of Dogs, and, and it's it hurt kind of, because yeah. I really did... I really admire that movie. Yeah, me too. Because it's a it's it's a step it's a continued step in a different direction for him. Yeah. Um so was there any what else was it? Le- Moonrise, Moonrise Kingdom. Kingdom? Neither of us had Moonrise well, Kingdom. I actually think that's my least favorite of his movies. I, I was going to say it's probably at the bottom of my list too, but it's not a bad movie. It's not it's, bad, it's but a Wes I, I just movie think that, that the two kids in that don't handle the the material, the Wes Anderson mood as really? well. I don't think they do. I thought the two kids are the best part of the movie. 
I actually, I actually think that they're, they're what took me out of it. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. But I mean, again, I don't dislike the movie. Yeah. Other than that, I think we had another one. We had different ones that were left off. Yeah, you had Bottle Rocket and I had Darjeeling. Oh hell no. Yeah. No Bottle Rocket. Yeah. No, I'm saying you had Bottle Rocket in your list. I had Darjeeling in mine. You did? Mm-hmm. I didn't have Life Aquatic in mine. Oh fuck. Yeah, I, I think that's a very overrated movie. Yeah. I think there's a lot of problems with that movie. Although I think it's the best Bill Murray performance in a Wes Anderson movie, and that's what ultimately saves it for me. Um, it's where I would have it just above Moonrise mm-hmm. for me on the list. I'd have it at eight and Isle of Dogs at seven for me. Man, what a fun list to make. Uh, what a fun director. I can't wait for, well, for whatever he's doing. Next. Well, he's filming right now, his 10th film. Well, We're going to get it hopefully next summer-ish. Hopefully. Very much looking forward to it. 10 films since 1996. I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it, you have to wait a while, but it's always but worth he, the wait. Yeah, he, he definitely doesn't doesn't uh, disappoint once. Like once the other Anderson that we yeah, love. Yeah, like the other Anderson, which yeah. we'll, we'll end up doing a list for him relatively soon. Probably next year sometime. Yeah, exactly. After his newest film comes out. Exactly. That was right. fun. Well, we're going to take one more break, but when we come back, it's the Throwback Challenge. Stick around. Swear to God, cause my heart stick a needle right through my eye. She's the one that I seen smiling me when she's driving by. But I turn as if it's enough just to say to myself. All right, welcome back to my favorite part of the show, the Throwback Challenge. For the uninitiated, the Throwback Challenge is where we force one another to watch a classic or notoriously underwatched film that each of us has missed throughout the years. Neither of us know the film that the other has selected for us beforehand, and then we discuss them on the next episode. I gave Noah the James Gray film starring Joaquin Phoenix, among others, Two Lovers. And I gave Andy the Errol Morris documentary about Donald Rumsfeld, The Unknown Known. So, Andy, what did you think of this documentary? I was glad you gave this to me because I had been meaning to see this for a really long time, and I love Errol Morris' style. He's one of the few documentary filmmakers that I can trust going into every time. Mm -hmm. Because he takes a viewpoint that is very... He doesn't have one direction he's going. He's listening. He's not pushing, especially with the political documentaries, which most of them are. But just like he does in The Fog of War, he does in this film where he's just trying to understand where this person came from. And just, I mean, obviously he knows that they're a um, a very big problem uh, they have been for a lot, you know. They they were and this this per- Rumsfeld. Let's be honest, he's a villain. He is a villain. He, <laughs> in a way that that Robert McNamara from The Fog of War isn't necessarily. No, because McNamara at least had the um, he had a conscience about it. Yes, he has a conscience and is able to look back. Yes. 
and admit some some mistakes and mm. and he has the hindsight to to be able to to really like view his legacy and what he's leaving behind and really have questions for himself mm-hmm. he's internalizing and that's not that, happening with rumsfeld that's not something i think donald rumsfeld is even capable of doing which makes for a fascinating film yeah to 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 think that he even took part in this is incredible uh, i can't believe he did it which you know to fast forward to the very final moment of this movie when he asks him why the hell he did it in the beginning, why did the hell did he agree to do it? And then Rumsfeld like kind of just thinks to himself, "Okay, yeah, you're right. Why did I do this? That's crazy." So <laughs> they go through um, some key uh, so-called what's he call them snowflakes memos that he's recorded that he recorded an entire career in the White House. Thousands and thousands and thousands. He guesses twenty-ish thousand. Yeah. And it's fascinating to really recount the amount of times and, and different, like, important American historical moments he's been a part of. Yeah, that he had his fingerprints It's on. wild. It's scary. I mean, all the way back to Nixon. It's scary. Yeah. And when he really, when he gets into Guantanamo Bay and all that. Ooh, that's that, when it gets really dark. And, you know, people have criticized, I saw some people criticizing this movie for um, Errol Morris not accomplishing anything new. But that's not the point No, here. it's not. Errol Morris is clearly showing you that this person is evil, but he doesn't have to get anything out of him. It's clear. It's out there. The evidence is there. We already knew that. What's fascinating is watching this guy evade everything that comes his way. He's just, he's so skilled at it because he's been doing it for so long. He's a master of it. He he thinks he's such a master that he, he actually even notes that a lot in the documentary he's like i turned that around on you so that's a point for me kind of i mean and, and errol that, morris is never trying to be that way no and the way that he smirks and gives the, the long gazes, grin oh the moments of silence where his, they, he just stares his face is so punchable it's scary how lively and energetic he is in his 80s yeah it's it's weird it really is creepy the fact that this guy is even around still is bizarre to me yeah He's doing it with such oh, youthfulness. Oh, you mean that he's still alive, like hasn't died of old age? I thought you meant like that. that it's it's weird that he hasn't been drawn and quartered. <laughs> That's what I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> it should have happened a long time ago, but here we are. And this film not only is the whole um, focus of the interview that fascinating, and the and then the, the recounting of so many specific memos. But the way he... The score in this movie is brilliant. Danny Elfman. Brilliant, it's yeah. It's Danny Elfman. And the way he uses the score with images of, um, you know, whether it be like, um, you know, just Washington, D.C. and a skyline that goes for days and fast forward with the with the score. Or the ocean, you know. Um, the ocean it, The ocean shots play a big, big, th- mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. theme in it. <sighs> There, he really lets you sit and let everything sink in with these certain sequences when you're not with Rumsfeld. Yeah. I like that he kind of separates certain things with those stretches. It, it's so well done. Yeah. It's pretty masterful, honestly. It really is. Um, and, like, uh, there's a lot of criticism because he never gets him. There's no gotcha He's not moment. trying to, though. He's not necessarily trying to, and you should know that you're not going to get this guy. He's made a career through decades and decades of not getting got. In a way, he gets him to do the interview, which is fascinating enough. That's the getcha enough, really. The fact that this movie was made is amazing to Yeah. Me. And so, you know, 
people looking for him to pry something out of him, like some of those people who were in the, the you know, those press conferences in the early 2000s. Yeah. No one's going to get anything out of this guy. No, not at all. You know, it, it's not any different than those clips you see of him evading those questions. Mm-hmm. This is always going to happen, you know? It's... It, it, <laughs> I, I'm at a four and a half on this movie. Really? Yeah. I enjoyed yeah. that much. It's um, good. I, I'm glad that we didn't have another I Saw the Devil on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a long time coming over here for you. Yeah, is, big time. Is two lovers, so I have yeah. to know. Um, so, watched it just uh, last night. So, just just barely got this in under under the uh, under the clock. Um, so, where to start? Um this movie is is so interesting because it it doesn't it doesn't play out the way that you the way that you expect it to or even necessarily the way that you want it to um it's another one of the, those examples of a film where the characters don't behave in ways that you that you would like them to behave and obviously specifically i'm talking about joaquin <laughs> phoenix's mm-hmm. character so the premise of two lovers is uh joaquin phoenix plays uh, Leonard, who um, has moved back in with his parents, he's very depressed. Um, his parents uh, own a dry cleaners in New York City, and um, they they are friends with another uh, a couple who also own another dry cleaners, and they have a daughter who's of similar age to Leonard. And it's obvious that they've set them up that they, they've 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 picked uh, her out to to court uh, him or vice versa. Um, meanwhile, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's character is living in the same building and, um, she's different, you know, she's blonde and, and mysterious and kind of fun and wild and, and he's very, very drawn to her. So this, uh, this, this, he starts playing this, this fast and loose game where, um, uh, uh, he's very, very interested in Gwyneth Paltrow's character who's um may or may not have a drug problem and is also uh in a relationship with a married man played by elias Cateus. i forgot about this yeah i'm I'm remembering it now that Mm. you i haven't watched this in a while i see um and so um he's he's sort of dating this other woman that his parents have picked out for him played by vanessa shaw Mm while also pining over Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Um, he goes out to a bar, to a club with her and her friends, and is goes on the roof and gives her advice and listens to her problems. And um, it's, it's, it's very frustrating the way that he behaves in this movie because um, he seems to have a good thing with this girl and seems to be set up you know, with his parents very nicely. And Isabella Rossellini plays his mother... And she's quite good in it, even though she doesn't have a, a ton to do. But she doesn't need a ton to do to to pull it off very well, because she's a very skilled uh, uh, actress. Um, the real takeaways in this are Vanessa Shaw is delightful, and why would you not just settle down with her? Um, it, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix is his usual excellent in this film. He's quite good. At uh, it. Whether or not his character behaves in ways that you want or makes decisions that you want him to phoenix plays it really 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 well he may have some mental issues as well he obviously yeah, has some mental so, issues so there's that um paltrow's pretty darn good in it honestly um she plays a very 
interesting character where it's, it's not a very Gwyneth Paltrow-y character, you know? Yeah, maybe she may seem one-dimensional at first, but I think there's a little more to that oh, character. Oh, definitely. She's got she's she's got some own her own demons that she struggled mm-hmm. with. And one of the, the interesting things about the story that that uh Lara and I pointed out talked about when we were watching it is that for the most part, she makes it clear to him that she's with someone else, or at least involved with someone Absolutely. else. Absolutely, she doesn't necessarily feel about him in the way that he feels about her, and that he shouldn't—that um, she's not interested like like that. That she just wants to be friends with him, and yet he won't give it up. He won't give it up. Meanwhile, he's got this other woman that's super into him, that his parents want him to be with, that her parents are into the idea of it. They're going to start a dry-cleaning conglomerate and take over the, the, the burrows. Um, and he just... He won't give up on Gwyneth Paltrow's character. Um, yeah. It's it's a really interesting love triangle. It's masterfully directed. I was hoping you would oh. enjoy James Grace's uh, oh, it's really, vision. Oh, it's really well directed. Um, it's a frustrating watch just because... Um, I don't want to keep saying that the characters don't behave you want the way that you that you want them to. It's really just his mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. because again, Altro's character tells him the, right out of the gate multiple times the way that that, that this is going to be and and where her thought process is. Mm-hmm. He just can't get it through his head. Um, and I really like this movie. Really? Oh yeah, I like this movie a lot. What do you think you give it then? Four stars for sure. Good. Good. Yeah, four star, it's a, it's a very solid four star film. It, it, the more and more you think about the performances, specifically the big three, and then also Rosalini and Cateus, and then the guy who plays her father and the guy who plays his father, a really mm-hmm. interesting like you know these these fifty something year old uh, uh, older Jewish men um, mm-hmm. who are who have uh, who have built something for themselves and see you know. Someone like Joaquin Phoenix's character Leonard, who just can't seem to get it together, and they're yeah, and it's just, so important for men like that to to pass something on, pass it on, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the bar mitzvah scene. Oh yeah, I remember uh, that. There's scene. a really interesting scene. There's a lot of really good scenes in this movie. There's um, the scene where she's Gwyneth Paltrow's character recently had a miscarriage. And he's there consoling her, and Elias Cateus shows up, and he has to hide behind the door the entire time, oh, yeah. where Cateus is is trying to sweet talk Gwyneth Paltrow's mm-hmm. character. There's so many of these the the the, the scene where um, Phoenix and Vanessa Shaw have sex for the first time. I remember that. And you think, all right, this is good. Stay here. But Stay there's also th- just... something looming, you know. Exactly. That, that something bad is going to happen. Exactly. A wrong decision is going to be made. And he, he opens his, his, his Motorola razor and, uh, <laughs> and, and starts texting her. And you're just like, oh, God, 2009. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really love this movie. Good. Really. And love you're this continuing movie. your James Gray. Yep. Crossing them off. Gonna st- gonna That's two, straight right? Straight to the immigrant next or something. I don't know. I mean, might as well. Yeah. I'm not going to give you a James Gray movie, though, for the next throwback. No. <laughs> so, which begs the question, what do you have for me on the next throwback episode? <sighs> Major League Back to the Minors. No, I'm kidding. Scott Bakula! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, I haven't... Uh, man... I thought about, should I give you a documentary again? Because I just did recently. Not too long ago. Last episode. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, we've been kind of doing that. You did the back and forth with me with documentaries as well. You haven't decided what movie you're going to give me. You're just making it up right now, aren't you? Yes. You're, I, know, yes. I know you're just you're you winging it. Do you have one for I me? I already picked it out. <laughs> of course I already picked it out. No. I've had this one in mind for like three weeks now. All right, good. It's one that I've actually had in mind since we started this. We've, I, we've Same kinda, here. We've kind of discussed this a little bit off 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 the mic, but I finally have to give it to you, I think, because I really want to know your thoughts on this um, really fascinating, in my opinion, it's almost like a, um, not just a film or a documentary, but almost like a lifelong project, camera person. Yes. I really want you to see camera person. Well, that's because I have your copy of the movie. Well, I mean... At least I know you where really this one is. You really need to see it. I know where this one is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's on my entertainment center, at least. <laughs> Two Lovers is Yeah, I lost somewhere Two Lovers in, somewhere in my basement. I don't know where it is. It's, it's down I'll there. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. It's not that All right, camera person, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. I'm really excited for this one. Uh, I'm giving you something very different than camera person, very different than the last movie I give you. Um, I recently ran across my notes from when I was outlining the very first episode of this podcast. And um, if you recall, in the first episode of this podcast, I gave you Uncle Boon Me Who Can Recall His Past Lives. Oh, yeah. That was not what I initially was going to give you on the very first episode. And I've waited all the way until episode seven to give you the movie I was going to give you, which is Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. Oh, yeah. And you know I'm a big fan of Zellner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And Fargo. Yeah. So, and this... Scratches both of those itches. Yeah, um, I really, really liked this movie a lot when I when I saw the the one and only time I saw it. Refresh me: Is this Rinko Kikuchi? It in this is. Movie? I'm a fan of her as um, well. So uh, this time last year, it was actually a year ago, two years ago, yesterday that uh, my house caught fire. And we had to move out of my house. We moved into my girlfriend's uh, dead grandmother's house in Wanamaker. So naturally you watch. And there was no no, uh, air conditioning. And this is in the (laughs) summer in Indianapolis where it gets kind of hot in the summer. A little bit. Um, And uh, my girlfriend went on a business trip and I was at home in her dead grandmother's house all by myself trying to fill my time. And so I watched a bunch of movies uh, all in all, all in this one weekend, just jam packed. Um, and Kumiko the Treasure Hunter was one was one of them, and uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I'm surprised I haven't seen it yet. Um, well, you're gonna watch it pretty soon. I'm gonna watch it this week. So, um, the, speaking of, let's explain to people before we get out of here. Um, mm-hmm. And again, thank thank you very much. Uh, for for uh, listening to the episode, um, uh, remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating. Uh, subscribe also on Spotify, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, SoundCloud, Amazon Alexa, Blue, Google Play. Yeah, send us your suggestions. Oregon Trail. Yes, Oregon Trail. <laughs> send us your suggestions for the Throwback Challenge to the Film Harmonic at gmail.com. So um, the next episode, you, you're getting ready to go on vacation soon. Yes, so we might yes. have a little bit more of a hiatus than we typically have between mm-hmm. episodes. So usually we do them every other week. So it might be three weeks uh, uh, yeah, between our next one. We're probably looking at the films, the new releases of the 24th, weekend yeah, of the 24th. final week of, of May for our mm-hmm. next episode. So we're probably targeting um, Olivia Wilde's Booksmart. Booksmart will probably be the, the lead, uh, the lead, the, the Avengers Endgame of our next episode. It's going to be epic, yeah. yeah. So, um, so tell everybody what you're doing. 
so uh, my girlfriend Jess, um, one of her best friends, is celebrating her 40th birthday by um, asking her closest friends to come to Napa Valley in poor wine country together and stay in you know some cottages in Napa Valley. So we're going to go up a little before that, a few days before that, hit San Diego, Big Sur, San Francisco, and then head into Napa Valley and experience nine days in that area. So I'm looking forward to that. That sounds so bougie. I feel like I don't even know you anymore. All right. <laughs> yeah. I own like eight shirts total and I'm going on that bougie, uh, bougie trip. Really? I'm just jealous. Cause I want to do it. Yeah, well, I've never been. So, yeah. well, that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. Well, that's a really good excuse. Have a slightly extended hiatus between this episode and the next one. So you'll have three weeks at least to catch uh, Kumiko the Treasure Hunter. I can't wait to see it. And then I'll, I'll stare at the box of Camera Person for two <laughs> weeks and then finally fit it in. Well, you're going to look at the box and you're going to say, oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. need to get the Criterion channel. Yeah. Oh, God. To have access to all of these yeah. cool things. So I don't even have to plug it's in the 30 the day free part. trial anyway. Just try it out. Yeah. Um, let, let's go ahead and encourage our listeners to, to try out the 30 day free trial of. of uh, the Criterion channel, which I haven't even signed and up for either. it's got a either. really cool app that you can watch them all on, too. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to... Uh, I feel like the Criterion channel is going to give us a lot of reasons to um, build new segments, too, even. Maybe it's going to really make the throwback challenge pretty rich, too. Like, sure. Um, so, and we can... I mean... There's a lot to access on there. Awesome. Looking forward to it. So we're going to have uh, a little bit longer of a break between episodes, but I'm sure you guys will deal. Um... Uh, so join us next time. Book smart. Um, uh, we're going to do some research on a couple we'll, of other ones. Too. You know what? We're going to we'll get back to you on that because we have we have some time. But, but we uh, will have the throwbacks that we just mentioned. We too. will have the throwbacks we just had. Um, so thank you very much for listening, you guys. Um, unless you have anything else to add, uh, the pick six will also be John Lovett's performances. John Lovett's performances, <laughs> um, animated John Lovett's. Yeah, performances. so the top four are all the critic. Yeah, well, yeah. four of them are, and then the other two are, you know, High School High and Sky High. <laughs> All right. Well, on that he note, wasn't in Sky High, but he was in High School High. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, you guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we will see you next time on the Film Harmonic. Sizemore. Oh, ooh, uh, um, Treat Williams. <laughs> ooh, Chris Penn. Oh, God. Uh, uh, um, what's Chris Farley's brother's name? I don't remember what's his like, name. Ann Archer. Name? Remember Ann Archer? 
from Patriot Games. <laughs> oh, God. Lake Bell. <laughs> <laughs>